Blog Talk Radio. And hello out there to all you Brooklyn folk. This is Sam Maxwell, and you are here with the Bedford and Sullivan Podcast, the podcast that keeps you, the audience, active listeners in the Brooklyn Dodgers TV series research process. And uh, I felt, you know, with spring in the air, I needed to kind of get things going again, uh, whether that's baseball, Brooklyn, or otherwise. Uh, Today, I I found myself uh, in my lift capacity all the way out in Danbury, Connecticut, and I decided, because I had no idea where I I was going to be doing this podcast, but I decided to navigate home to Flatbush, Brooklyn, and here I am uh, joined by the Brooklyn trolley blogger, Michael Colon, here to help me uh, usher in... uh, you know, this this spring of Brooklyn and uh, kind of just basically, as we always talk about, we love this place. We, you know, this is basically what fuels this podcast and this interest in making this television show is not just the Dodgers and baseball history, but the history of this wonderful piece of land we call Brooklyn. It is a wonderful piece of land. Well put. Uh, thank you for having me, Sam. How are you, sir? I'm doing well, you know, uh, just kind of glad to, to be back in Brooklyn. I hadn't been here in a few days, and uh, I needed to, to take a look. Uh, you know, I, I, I was just passing uh, City Field. I was passing the Jackie Robinson Parkway on the way over here, and I've never seen his uh, uh, plot, Jackie Robinson's plot over there in the cemetery, and, and something – that was remarkable to me, and, and then I told you right before here was was how dense the the uh, uh, the actual tombstones are in that cemetery. Uh, it's an old cemetery, and you're right; it, it's very dense. Uh, you know, it, it's it's very dense. Uh, but Jackie Robinson's plot, uh, you know, it, it's it's rather spacious, comparatively speaking. Uh, it's a bit of a privacy there thanks to uh, a, a you know a bush and he has a lane it's like a it's almost a, a two-part plot where you know it welcomes you with a sign and then there's a lane that you would go down to and there's concrete benches to the right and then there would be his headstone and uh like i said his plot is uh rather spacious compared to the rest of the cemetery it is densely populated because it is so old Beautiful plot, you know. Obviously, yeah. Uh, everybody wants, uh, uh, you know, dead real estate in this, yeah, in this land. Uh, <laughs> you know, whomever should visit there, you know, you'll always see the baseballs and baseball hats and and bats and you know rocks on top of the tombstone and quarters and and, and things of that nature. And you know, the cemetery cleans it out every so often, but uh, you will always find it packed with memorabilia that people left behind. You know indicating that they visited. Uh, the last time that I visited Gil Hodges, uh, there were two Met hats, one on the ground and one on top of the tombstone, as well as a couple stones, which I always, uh, uh, you know, considering that I believe it's a Catholic cemetery at Holy Cross Cemetery, which is only a block away from me. Um, I, I, you know, always attribute that to how diverse Brooklyn is and the fact that uh, he had so many Jewish fans uh, who are baseball fans who live in Brooklyn. And, um, you know, there, there used to be a Dodgers hat, but that seemed to have been removed. Uh, so the only the only thing, I believe there was a bat, a baseball, uh, and two Met hats the last time. And we were saying before, you know, talking about how um, 
April, uh, uh, or was it March, Gil Hodges went in 1972. And then, unfortunately, we lost Jackie Robinson in 1972 of October. Yeah. Sad year. Uh, two titans, literally titans of the sport. Uh, and of the community as well. Uh, you can't deny either man that. They were titans uh, in the civilian realm as well as baseball. So as spring comes in Brooklyn for you, Mike, what was you know some of your favorites? When if you were penning a love letter to Brooklyn, as we we uh, described this podcast to our listeners, what would you say to it? What what would be you know one of your your favorite things that you love about Brooklyn? As uh, and 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 really, you know, it should still be winter, but there hasn't been much winter, and it feels like spring. Baseball uh, is going on in Florida, so we might as well talk like it's spring. <laughs> It has been a mild winter. Uh, we still got a month to go, but, uh, you know, spring training is here, so uh, it's rather psychosomatic. You think spring is here, so therefore spring is indeed here. You know what? I, I've always had this thing about uh, the waterfront, the Brooklyn waterfront, uh, and, and even though Reese Park is in Queens, you know, this is a great time to get out there uh, and just have the whole place to yourself. It's a rather old setting, and... Uh, you know, the serenity of it all, it, it, it's great. I call it my fortress of solitude before the uh, actual beach season kicks in. And, and then, of course, you come back across the bridge and, you know, walking the boardwalk from Brighton Beach to Coney Island is very refreshing this time of year. You know, even on those crisp, cold days, uh, there's so many people out there doing that. Uh, either jogging, walking their dogs, or, you know, whatever it may be, or just walking and, you know, getting some blood flowing through your legs. Uh, and, and then you keep going around, you know. You, you come to Bay Parkway and you come to uh, what we call Caesars Bay, you know, that starts the the Gravesend Bay Promenade, and that's about a two-mile or actually it's about a four-mile stretch from beginning to end, if you start over where Toys R Us used to be in, in Caesars Bay, uh, you can walk the whole length of the waterfront underneath the Verrazano Bridge all the way into Bay Ridge, you know, and, and it's a beautiful, beautiful scenery right up against the water. You know, if you're walking towards Manhattan, you have Bay Ridge up on the hill to your right, and you have Staten Island to your left, and, of course, all the shipping that comes in and out of there. Uh, a lot of activity on the water. Uh, you know, it's nice to walk. It's nice to just sit and gaze. It's great for picture taking. And, and and now with Brooklyn Bridge Park, that you know the city reclaimed the waterfront over by uh, Brooklyn Heights. Uh, you know they did a great job with Brooklyn Bridge Park, uh, and that's a great place to get out this early in the year on the sunny days. You know, I, I love sweater weather. I love a nice light jacket weather, and and this is that time of season now, uh, March, and you know perhaps the early parts of April. But for me, this is that type of season. This is the time to get out, restretch your legs. You know, shake those winter doldrums. A lot of people have been in the house all winter, uh, so the the waterfront is where I would recommend people start their spring. You know, start in Coney Island, get around to the promenade by the Verrazano Bridge, and then take yourself along the uh, 
the waterfront of Brooklyn Bridge Park downtown. Obviously, the view of Manhattan from there is spectacular. I think one of the greatest uh, vistas in all the world, to be honest with you. Uh, and, and, you know, and all the shops and eating and, and all the little tourist attractions because there's a great deal of history down there. Uh, you know, and, and then if you care to venture that far up, you know, you head into Williamsburg and Greenpoint. Uh, those are also two waterfront neighborhoods and uh, so much to do over there. Uh, Williamsburg is the new hot spot on the East Coast, I guess people are saying, and uh, for good reason. There's a lot of places to eat, a lot of places to cajole and, and drink and, uh, you know, have a good time. So uh, the waterfront, Sam, that's my answer for how to uh, make the transition over to what we hope are warmer days and longer days. And you more or less covered every single inch of of, uh, the Brooklyn waterfront. And, you know, some people sometimes forget that New York City is very much a beach city. You know, you're right. People do overlook that. Uh, We have Brighton Beach. We have Manhattan Beach. We have Coney Island. You know, and in the summertime, well, they draw millions of people, you know. Uh, so, yeah, we, we are, Brooklyn is a beach town. Uh, we know it. I'm not so sure other people know it, but that's fine. You know, let them go where they go and let the Brooklynites have our beach to ourselves, you know. <laughs> exactly. Um, you know, for, I, I, and to give a little props to Queens, Far Rockaway ain't so bad. No, not at all, not at all. You know, and I'll even tell you a story. My wife, she's from Manhattan, uh, but, you know, she remembers uh, summers of all her friends getting on the trains and heading over to Coney Island, you know. That was the Manhattan routine. You got on the train and you went all the way to Coney Island. Right, exactly. I mean, at some point it had the most visitors of any uh, attraction town, attraction uh, area in the entire world. It, it, what, what, what is it? What is its claim? What am I butchering? Excuse me. No. What, what, what is the claim about Coney Island? You know, it, it was the world's greatest attraction at some point. Oh yeah, it was. You know, a uh, hundred years ago, that was the preeminent vacation spot on the East Coast. Let's not forget all the restaurants and the hotels and all the other. Uh, notable places and sites and whatnot and, and, and the beach houses and bathhouses. I mean, there was something for everyone at Coney Island, from weird to wacky and wonderful. So it was the preeminent vacation spot on the East Coast for a long time, turn of the century, and, you know, I would guess right up until the Depression. I, I'm, you know, I, I don't delve that deeply into what type of business they were drawing during those years. Uh, but, of course, the fires burnt down many places, and they rebuilt, and the fires took them again, and they rebuilt, and the fires came again, and they rebuilt. You know, but that got a little old, and, you know, ultimately Coney Island started to crumble and fall. But uh, it's undergone a renaissance, and uh, it's still a great place to go. It's better now than it was, you know. And even in its worst days, you would still find me there. Uh, it's always been uh, a very welcome place to me. Never had a bad incident happen over there. No, yeah, and I I think one one time I've been to uh, Luna Park, but I have never been on a cyclone. And you know, sometimes it 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 helps 
and I'll use an example in music that, that you haven't done something. So it's going to be that much better when you finally do it, <laughs> you know, or when you finally yeah. see that movie or, you know, I'm, I'm just over the last year and a half getting into the cars and they've become my new favorite band. You know, mm-hmm. I'm very happy. Like, like there, there could be a part of me that, that beats me up the fact that I hadn't gotten heavily into the deep cuts if you will. Uh, but I'm, ha- I'm happy now that I get to experience it like it's new, all, you know, all over again for, for many people. But um, so one day well, I will have to do the cycle. Well, two quick stories uh, continuing on with Coney Allen. One involves my sister. She's eight years older than me. So I lived her teenage years. You know, whatever she did, I did because she had to take little brother with her. So, uh, you know, I was indoctrinated to Coney Allen and the Cyclone and the Wonder Wheel. And back then, the Thunderbolt roller coaster was still in operation. Uh, you know, and I got, I got uh, <laughs> conditioned to ride, ride those, go on those rides very early in my life. I'm talking like seven and eight years old, you know. And, you know, that was early on. And as a teenager, I lived all my teenage years in the 80s. I turned 13 in 1980. And, you know, our tradition was growing up with, with, with my clique of friends and whatnot, every Tuesday was Coney Island night for us. We'd pile in people's cars. We'd pull right up to the cyclone. We'd get on four or five times, you know, because back then you could stay on for Adorites for like a dollar or whatnot. Uh, we'd do that, head on over to Nathan's, you know, stuff our faces there. And that was our Tuesday night tradition. It just evolved that way and, you know, if you didn't see anybody, you knew enough to go there, and that's where we were. Uh, and, and those were fun times growing up in the 80s. And that's, a, you know, you, where else in, in, in this country can you just roll up, you know, a couple of neighborhoods away with your car, pull right up to the place, hang out with the stereo blasting while a bunch of us are riding the cyclones and everybody else is waiting outside, you know, having a hot dog or whatnot. You know, you can't do that anywhere else. And I hope to God corporate entities, you know, uh, remain uh, uh, prohibited is the wrong word. But, uh, you know, I would hope that they were are, are always kept out of Coney Island. I like the way it is, the way it always has been, individual enterprises. You know, if you can afford to get a stand in there, great. If not, you know, something else will come along. But I don't want to see one entity ever come in there and take the whole place over. And uh, celebrating the 20th season, I believe, uh, coming up of baseball in Coney Island. That's right. So uh, Brooklyn Cyclones are going to celebrate their 20th season. They started up in 2001. And uh, that very first season, they uh, co-won the New York 10 League Championship. I guess we can talk about that real quick. Uh that was the Adora Girl season, and they made the championship series. They were playing the Wilmington Crosscut, uh, excuse me, the Williamsport Crosscutters, and uh, they had won the opening game in Williamsport, and they were headed back to Coney Island for game two. Had they won that game, they would have been named champions. But what happened that Tuesday morning? Uh, all the events of 9/11 transpired, uh, so the game was obviously canceled, and they never. Resumed, so Williamsport and the Cyclones were named co-champions. Uh, 
you know, fast forward 19 years later, last year, last season, you know, Cyclones finally won a, a full-fledged championship, and I can't wait to get there uh, this season, opening day, and watch them hoist the flag. Yeah, and, um, you know, it, it's it's not so relevant uh, in terms of what we're trying to do with this podcast and the show, but... It, it, it did seem quite ponderous, just to brief on this real quick, that they let go uh, somebody who, who, you know, got better every single year and, and that culminated with a championship in Edgardo Alfonso. And, you know, he's, he's a, a good uh, alumni, alumnus, uh, and he's staying in the role as ambassador. Um, he is free, I believe, to take any role he would want in any other organization. Um, but I, I just don't understand why he doesn't have a managerial position anywhere in this organization, in, in the legacy of uh, the Brooklyn Dodgers and the New York Giants. You're right. On the one hand, I'm not particularly fond of the way the Mets handled it. It was rather coldly. Uh, on the other hand, you know, that position, manager of the Cyclones, isn't a full-time job. That's the way it's been. It's a transitory position. They come in for a couple of years, and then they step aside and then bring in the next guy. So, you know, Alfonso had been there as long as anybody. Uh, And without the circumstances of the Mets front office and how they handled it, you know, you could argue that it was time for the next guy, you know, to take his turn. So it's a funny situation, but as you say, uh, the Mets organization hasn't gone out of their way to uh, either elevate him to a new position or, or give, them, give him something more substantial within the organization other than being just being an ambassador. That, that still you know, raises many questions as to what's really going on there. I mean, I do have an opinion as to why they – didn't retain retain him as manager. Uh, I just choose not to say because it could be controversial to some people. And it's purely an opinion. Uh, I don't have any insight into the into the situation, so uh, I just want to clear that up. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, you know, it, it, it's it's interesting uh, the way that that this all just unfolds to the point that, you know, ownership is basically what removed both teams. Uh, loyal ownership is what helped bring the Mets back, uh, you know, in somewhat somebody that uh, was the only one to vote against the move to San Francisco and Joan Payson um, as a, a, a part owner at the time. Um, and, uh, it, it, it's just remarkable, you know, uh, the more things change, the more things, uh, you know, they stay the same, as they say. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you know me. Uh, a statue or, or you know, something commemorating Joan Payson is long overdue. Yeah, and you might need to uh, take it up with the next set of ownership that uh, could possibly be uh, Alex Rodriguez. <laughs> Hopefully it won't fall on deaf ears, you know? 
Well, before before we uh, go on too much of a, a tangent, and, and this becomes a Metsian podcast, but I'm shocked. Yeah, let's not really, um, let's let's focus. Let's focus on Brooklyn. Let's like say. <laughs> Speaking of statues, um, one of my favorite statues, and I'm going to have to look it up uh, right now, just because I don't know the exact name. I don't know who it is. Uh, but it was dedicated to, and it says on it, the city of Brooklyn by the Union League Club in, like, 1895. Uh, and it's at the intersection of Bedford Avenue and Rogers Avenue. You know what I'm talking about? Bedford and Rogers. Are you speaking of the uh, the Grant statue on horseback? Is that Grant? That's Grant? Yeah, that's that would make sense. They, they, they seem, there seems to be a lot of Civil War commemoration all around. Like, yeah, of course, Grand uh, Army Plaza. Something I, I wish modern-day municipalities would, you know, uh, revisit and, and delve into again. Because, like you say, all these monuments are rather old. And there are reasons to build new ones. And there's space. And, you know, uh, I'm all for it. You know, when was the last time... We, we built a statue on, on that scale or a monument on that scale. But you're right. That is the uh, the Ulysses Grant statue of him on horseback uh, at the where Bedford Avenue and Rogers meet before it turns into Bedford Avenue the rest of the way into Williamsburg. Uh, and that would be like uh, between Dean Street and... I think Bergen, but certainly Dean Street, you know, yeah. I think to get the next street over might be, uh, it's not Pacific, Dean, it might be Bergen or Prospect Place, one of those, but that's, that's the intersection where it is. If I have ever gotten a photo of it, um, I haven't focused on this particular part, but, you know, my favorite part of it is that it says on it, to the city of Brooklyn. And it's just one of those, those remnants that, that these hints that this was very much a, a uh, functioning independent city in this area and, and was reluctant to give that up. It, it was, and it still can be. Uh, but if you go back into history, I think what uh, the city was unified in 1898, I could guess off the top of my head, but uh, I think the main reason, the primary reason, was because of the water system. Well, right, yeah, that that is. Uh, I mean, I, and I'm sure, economically speaking, I mean, everything just works better when there's one municipality. Municipality. Hey, I'm I've been that. adding it in. I'm not buying that. Brooklyn has 2.7 million people. Back then, they had at least 2.5 million people. It was always its own place. We have our own tax base. We have our own industry. Uh, you know, we have everything we need right here. Trust me. Well, trust me. What do I know? I'm not an authority. But I do believe Brooklyn can uh, remain, you know, on its own two feet without the rest of the city. Don't forget we had our own train system, and, you know, they decided to connect it and whatnot. But, you know, yeah. I think we do very well on ourselves, by ourselves. <laughs> I love that after all these years You still think it's the mistake of 98 <laughs> And you weren't even alive then I wasn't even alive But you know I'm, I'm all for that if, 
And if there was something to that, I'd be behind it. I hear you, man. Uh, well, I, I think uh, you know this is a good way of, of getting back into the swing of things. We're we're, we're going to take uh, we're going to make this a, a short one. Um, uh, if there's anything else you you want to touch on before we uh, we uh, reach the half hour mark. Uh, no, you know you lead, I'll follow, bro. Yeah, no, I I think we can uh, go to the last word and and. Um, you know, I, I think my last word is, you know, back in, in the swing of things. Uh, uh, I I haven't been consistently in Flatbush in a while. It's really been lovely to be back in Brooklyn, and, and uh, I may stay here. I may go, but uh, one one thing's for sure. It will always be my hometown. So uh, thank you for joining me on, on this uh, President's Day afternoon. I guess, I guess we do need to finish just a, a tad before we, we sign off with um, – uh, a little President's Day Brooklyn stuff. Obviously, you know, of course we have, when he was a general, Washington uh, uh, did some battles over there. Uh, uh, Dwight D. Eisenhower, of course, uh, came marching into Ebbets Field. I believe he said the World Series 1956, correct? That is correct. So um, with, with Washington, I mean, you know, it, it's something – that I notice about New Jersey, and I think it's the same with, with some fashion, New York in general, but Brooklyn specifically. Uh, and I, I heard a writer once, somebody who, who wrote about the, uh, the Dodgers and Giants leaving, I heard him do a lecture at the, the library, and he said that, uh, you know, Washington Park, where uh, the Dodgers used to play before Ebbets Field, has the stone house where, uh, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, Washington stayed in on his way through the Battle of Brooklyn or something along those lines. Um, yep. It was, it was a, a proper respite for him. And, uh, uh, you know, the, the writer said that in Boston, you'd have to pay $50 just to look at it. And here it is just sitting there. Nobody's talking about it. This is true. Well, on the one hand where I think the city overall does a horrible job of maintaining and promoting promoting its history. I mean, if you really go out there and think for yourself, you can find it all. But like you say, uh, Washington Park, today's Washington Park, the old stone house, uh, you know, is rebuilt, they say, using the same uh, materials from the original structure. They just moved it to that location, but it was George Washington's temporary headquarters during the Battle of Brooklyn slash the Battle of Long Island uh, during his retreat. And you could find, you know, that's part of, uh, of let's call it, you know, Washington's uh, retreat. There's another commemoration on Atlantic Avenue in court, obviously down by uh, Old Fulton Street on the waterfront. It's more uh, markers signifying the events there. So there around, you can also go to 9th Street and 3rd Avenue uh, where the Maryland 300 are represented and honored. Uh, that was part of the same battle. So there's markers. You know, you just got to do your homework. But the history is there. Uh, and, and there's a lot of uh, complementary history along the way with some of the buildings. Uh, it's just that a lot of the signage covers up the original facades that have the dates and the old names and whatnot. And you can really piece a lot together. But uh, the Battle of Brooklyn, folks, and um, another quick one. Uh, King's Highway derived its name because that was the main supply route of the British troops in Brooklyn. 
and uh, they paved it almost with the same curvature as it existed back then, and that's why they call it King's Highway. Highway of Kings and County of Kings. Uh, Michael, thank you so much for joining us today. I appreciate your your Brooklyn trolley blogger knowledge. This is you you trolley blog all around this borough. Uh, I get around it. I do. I'm fortunate with what I do for a living that I'm all over the borough. Uh, but I'd be scouring this borough anyway. <laughs> we got so, a minute and a half. Uh, shameless plug. Shameless plug. The Brooklyn trolley blogger. Uh, obviously, that's a spin on words, Brooklyn Trolley Dodgers. Uh, it fits. It's convenient. So here I am, Brooklyn Trolley blogger. You know, look it up. I talk a lot of sports, and I talk a lot of Brooklyn. I try to keep it as local as possible and as Brooklyn as possible from a native Brooklynite's perspective. And that is how we wrap up the 97th episode of the Bedford & Sullivan Podcast. Michael, thank you again for joining us, and thank you all for tuning in. Appreciate it on this uh, President's Day afternoon. We'll catch you next time. Take care. Bye-bye.